Now you might find it a little bit odd, as Bobby pointed out, that in the lectionary for this Sunday we talk about, in the gospel lesson, the crucifixion. Usually that's something that we talk about during Lent, not as we approach Advent. But I think the intention of those that put the lectionary together was that we pause as we approach Advent and remember why Jesus came in the first place. Sometimes we ask ourselves this question, what have I to be thankful for? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What have I to be thankful for? And depending on your circumstances, the tone of that question may vary. Depending on where you are, who you are, what your life experience has been, what kind of order or disorder you find yourself in, the tone in which you ask yourself that question may vary. It's like the disclaimer, your experience may vary. See, if life is good and circumstances are in your favor, your tone may be downright joyful. In fact, you might express that question as more of a statement of favor. As you look around at your abundant life, you take stock of everything that you have, and you say, look what I have to be thankful for. But on the other hand, if your life is tumultuous, chaotic, if your future is uncertain, if your lot in life has not been one of favor, then your tone may be more like, what on God's green earth have I to be thankful for? See, it sometimes comes down to circumstances, doesn't it? In the natural world, it sometimes comes down to circumstances, and our circumstances tend to dictate the tone in which we express or fail to express thankfulness. And that generally, that perspective generally holds true until we understand just exactly what it is for which we should be truly thankful. I want to tell you a story. A story about Thaddeus. Thaddeus isn't a biblical character. Thaddeus, in this case, is a 57-year-old widower from New Mexico. And he happens to be a new patient at the Tamagua Clinic in Tomball. And I made a hospital visit to Thaddeus recently up in Tomball Regional Hospital as he had suffered a stroke and a heart attack and had just had open heart surgery. He was about 
10 days out of surgery in the hospital was releasing him to home health care, except there was one problem. Thaddeus didn't have a home. And when I entered his hospital room, I found him awake and alert in his bed, and I introduced myself, even though I'd already met him in the clinic before, and he said to me, they told me you'd be coming. He kind of grumbled it, really. He didn't really say it. You ever have somebody that grumbles at you instead of talks to you? They told me you'd be coming, and I told them I wasn't interested in having visitors. Well, I said, they didn't give me the message, so here I am. See, I could tell this was not going to be off to a promising start, Christy. It was not going to be off to a promising start, but I thought I'd stick with it and see where it went. And so I sat down in the chair next to the bed and I asked him one simple question. And I'm fairly certain that it blew his medicated mind. I looked him straight in his grumpy, unshaven face and I asked him, Thaddeus, how did you get here? Now he looked back at me and he raised an eyebrow and he answered my question with a short question. He said, ambulance? No, that's not what I meant, Thaddeus. I want you to tell me how you ended up here all the way from New Mexico. Tell me how you ended up here in this hospital bed in Tomball, Texas, recovering from a stroke and from open heart surgery with no place to go. Nowhere to rest and recover. No family or friends to look after you. How did you get here? And his response was, well, preacher, I'm not at all certain how to respond to that. I left New Mexico for a construction job that I badly needed. And out of nowhere the job appeared. I truly needed work and the job was provided to me. And it paid for a long-term hotel room and for the things that I needed to live. And then when I got sick and I couldn't work, somehow I was led to Tamagua Clinic. And when I had my stroke and heart surgery, The clinic got me admitted into the hospital so that I survived and now I'm being released to home health care and I have nowhere to go but out of nowhere they sent me a caseworker and now you. So I said to him, Thaddeus, it seems God has provided for you in your time of need. And he said, it seems that way, and it's the doggone craziest thing because I surely don't deserve it. And you can insert any expletive you can think of in place of doggone, but that's as good as I could get here in church. So in his own gruff way, Thaddeus was expressing thankfulness in a way that I think we'd all have to agree was counterintuitive to what the natural world's response would be. 
I mean, if we look at his circumstances, he might have every reason not to be at all thankful except God had made his presence known to this man. Showering him with his prevenient grace. That kind of grace that's available to all of us, saved and unsaved. Even though, like every one of us, he didn't deserve it. See, we receive the prevenient grace of God. That grace that precedes his saving grace. We receive prevenient grace because He loves us and for no other reason. No other reason. God loves His people, saved and unsaved. Now it occurs to me that what Thaddeus was on the verge of discovering, we as believers in Jesus Christ should already know. Thaddeus is being lavished upon with God's prevenient grace while those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, those of us who are saved in Christ, have the benefit of a different kind of grace. The justifying, saving grace only made possible through Jesus Christ. Now nobody understood this distinction, I think, better than the Apostle Paul. And no one was more thankful for it than Paul in his letter to the Colossians where he writes, May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Paul's not done yet. He says about Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He Himself is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He might come to have first place in everything. For in Him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. And through Him, God was pleased to reconcile to Himself all things, including you and me, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of His cross. See, Paul is telling us to stick it out through the tough times. Not by relying on willpower, 
but by relying on God's power. God's power is the kind of strength that endures the unendurable. It's the kind of strength that spills over into joy and causes us to thank God the Father who makes us strong enough to see the beautiful in the midst of the ugly. To see the peace in the midst of the chaos. To see the brightness and hopefulness of the light cutting through the darkest night of our souls. See, this is the God who rescues. This is the God who rescues us from the pit and transforms us and transports us into the midst of the Holy Trinity by the power of His Holy Spirit who dwells in us as believers. Do you believe that? Oh, come on, church. Do you believe that? This is the God who sets us up for life in the kingdom of the Son He loves so much. Sets us up for life. And we ask, what have I to be thankful for? I mean, we look at the sun and we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at the sun and we see God's original purpose in everything He created. Everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible. In Jesus, we see His purpose for us. And still we ask, what have I to be thankful for? We look at the Son of the Most High God. Do you hear me? And we see that He holds it all together. He was supreme in the beginning. He will be supreme in the end. From beginning to end, He is there above everyone and everything, towering above our circumstances, whatever they may be. He is bigger than all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, including the broken pieces of your life. He fixes things. He fixes people. He fixes relationships. He fixes circumstances. All things get properly fixed and put back together in perfect, vibrant harmony. All because of His death. His poured out blood. Pouring down from the cross. Covering your transgressions. And giving us new life. Because of His victory over death. You see, through Him we share in the resurrection. And even then we have the audacity to ask. What have I to be thankful for? Let me tell you about true thanksgiving. True thanksgiving is understanding that your circumstances don't define your worth. They don't define your place in the kingdom of God. And they don't define your joy. 
True thanksgiving is gratefully accepting the free gift of grace through Christ and choosing to abide in Him in good times or in bad times. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him God was pleased to reconcile to Himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of His cross. And for that, no matter what, we can be truly and forever thankful. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.